Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we are chatting with Woodrow Rosenbaum. He is the Data and Insights Lead for Giving Tuesday and has been instrumental in helping shape this global movement and helping it grow and expand. Uh, It's what we spend a lot of time talking about today is Giving Tuesday and how it has grown and ways to evaluate it and how it's evolved over time. But we also pick Woodrow's analytical brain and talk about giving in a recession or in a down economy. What does it look like? What type of donors are impacted? Uh, What does a turnaround look like? What should we be looking for? And then also some different research and experiments that Woodrow has seen uh, about the current economic climate that we're in, but also Giving Tuesday about what seems to be working or not. So it's a pretty interesting conversation and it's also uh, extra relevant right now as Woodrow and his team at Giving Tuesday have just announced a global Giving Tuesday day on uh, May 5th called Giving Tuesday Now. So that is just released. Some more information. If you just go to the givingtuesday.org site, you can find out more about what Giving Tuesday Now uh, will look like and how it can be used as part of the global COVID-19 response. So take that into consideration when you listen to this podcast that it wasn't announced at the time. It is announced now, but all the conversation information and data from Woodrow is useful then and hopefully is useful now. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's another freak show, here we go. Hi, Woodrow. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Brady. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to the conversation. So we kind of like met, well, virtually met years ago in different lives, really around Giving Tuesday Canada, when it was kind of more of its in its infancy, really, in some data projects. But, uh, you know, through this process, I've learned a lot more about you and your life. But I'd love to know, and I'm sure the listeners would too, like, how the heck did you end up kind of uh, being this data insights person in the nonprofit space? What brought you into the charitable world? Yeah, it's uh, it's been an inter- interesting journey for me. I, I my background is in consumer marketing. That's actually how I came into this, and um, started by working with a foundation based in Canada with a mission to increase philanthropy, and was helping them with that mission. Really looking at it from the perspective of this is a marketing problem, and how can we how can we help to shift behavior? It's what we do in marketing. We use messages to shift behavior. Um, one thing led to another when Giving Tuesday launched in 2012, we saw that and thought, well, that's, that's right on our, on our mission here. Let's bring it to Canada. That's what got me involved more broadly in the sector and, and very deeply in the Giving Tuesday movement. And I was really, you know, cognizant when I started this, I didn't want to be one of those guys that comes in and goes, you know, Hey, nonprofits, I know how to business. (laughs) You should listen to me. Right. Um, and I've learned an incredible amount about how the sector operates and the challenges. And um, that said, I think there really is a lot to be learned from consumer marketing yeah. techniques. And and one of the major gaps that I saw was was in data. We have so much better data in the mm. in the for profit industry. And so I've been my my work has really been focused around bridging that gap and bringing the nonprofit sector up to where my con- commercial clients have always been. Yeah, no, and I mean, we, we, sh- I think that's part of the reason why we enjoy chatting is I think we share a similar thing. Like, our work is really how do we take conversion rate optimization methodology that all Fortune 500 companies use 
and apply it to nonprofits where it's not nearly as used. You know, it's not like we're reinventing stuff. We're really just like reapplying within the context and construct of philanthropy that hopefully we kind of understand. And I think it's really, really valuable uh, if you can do it, if we can do it, if others can do it. So I do want to talk about some of those kind of gaps in your experience, uh, specifically right now in the wake of COVID-19 and everyone just trying to still figure out what the heck is happening. I wonder if you could help shed some light on maybe like what is past recessions or past giving or like what happens when dips in the economy happen. Can you just unpack kind of um, what has happened in the past, I guess, when we've seen dips in charitable giving? Charitable giving. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's on everybody's mind right now. Obviously, it's it's no surprise. We're, we're in and headed for some pretty major economic shifts. And Historically, that's not been easy for the nonprofit sector. We're right now releasing um, findings and a collection of other people's work that can help shed some light on where the resilience is and and how to mitigate some of the um, areas that are most at risk. Generally speaking, um, I think we, we see two things during an economic downturn. We see that there's less less monetary giving. Um, it's not a surprise. There's less money to go around. I, I, one of the things that we we see is that those shocks of the system do result in in a an impact, a negative impact on the nonprofit sector. That, however, are, are not proportional. So the sector does seem to be somewhat more isolated from those shocks than others. Now, at the same time, we know the nonprofit sector is often is operating at extremely thin margins, and mm. you know, that's small comfort to a small organization or even a large organization that's suddenly finding itself below its um, its operating threshold. Uh, nevertheless, it it does point to there are some opportunities for that resilience. Individual giving seems least resilient. We see other things like granting out of DAFs being one of those things that provide mm. some resilience to the sector. Um, there's there's good research that shows that those flows uh, tend to help to mitigate the the shock. The other thing is that I think one of the things we have to keep in in mind right now, and that we're re- working really hard to measure and understand, is that although clearly this is an economic downturn, um, the situation is not typical even of one of those downturns. It is mm-hmm. more widespread. It's more severe. But we're also seeing anecdotally at least, and we're, we'll get some good measures of this soon, um, an unprecedented proactive reaction from the infrastructure in the sector, funders in particular, but also everyday givers. So I wouldn't necessarily assume that we're going to follow a pattern that we've seen in the past. I think that on the one hand, the shock is bigger. On the other hand, the the rapidity and the, and the broad um, proactive response is much much stronger. So um, there may be a number of of mitigating factors this time around. Yeah, I think a few interesting things. Thank you for for sharing that. Um, the the last one is always one that is in the back of my mind of like, yes, you know, economic dip, but unlike you know the housing crisis and fundamental flaws in economy, and we kind of understood this is this is different, right? This is new territory. It could be good, could be worse. We're not exactly sure. But if you take the optimistic view, you know, you could see how positive and reactionary people are. You can kind of see a path to quasi normalcy, you know, as opposed to like a a real deep economic flaw. So maybe we could rebound. But like you said, hopefully people like you will start being able to calculate more uh, and collect some of that data. 
And what you said earlier about the thin margins, because that is one of the other optimistic points is, you know, charitable, charitable giving within reason is, like you said, quite resilient, actually, compared to maybe some other industries. But I hadn't really thought about the really fine margins. And uh, when you said that, the, the picture that came to mind is, so my background was in international development. And I remember uh, we were working in uh, Colombia, I think it was, and there was a mudslide in one of the villages that we were working. And it just like devastated the population and like a pretty simple mudslide, like nothing crazy, nothing torrential. And it just killed like hundreds of people. And it was just this shocking moment for me to just understand of like when disasters happen or abnormalities happen, it's always the most vulnerable that are most heavily impacted. You know, if you live down below, if you don't live on the mountain, if you have a stable house, that that's nothing. It's just water under the bridge. Whereas when you are that vulnerable, just the the smallest uh, thing could potentially be devastating. And I do think that's kind of true with nonprofits, right? It's, yeah, like you said, great, it's resilient. But if you're just on the edge anyways, it, it won't really matter. Uh, and that's that's kind of devastating. And then the, the other last thing is just, you know, um, people are like, oh, how do we raise money online? It's like, well, if you haven't been building towards that, you know, good donation experience, building up a list, building up a gauge, you can't just flick the switch, right? So people that have kind of been investing in some of these things, recurring giving online are even more resilient. Is that kind of true? Or I guess the question is, what do you see moving forward now? What does this look like for organizations and charitable giving? I mean, all things being equal, yeah, that diversification is going to be better than not. Um, the the more prepared you are and the more diverse, the more streams you've got, the less you have to stand up reactively, the better, no question. Um, I think, again, if you're if you're on the edge, like you have to, you have to survive in order to recover. Right. Yeah. And um, it's one thing to say that the sector as a whole is going to recover well, but but there will there will be those that don't survive this shock. Um, I guess the other factor related to that is right now um, we always see a shift in giving in terms of where the existing giving dollars go in any kind of crisis. Um, so the, the dollars go where the interest is if you don't have a COVID message for your organization right now, you're probably not relevant. So if you're on the front lines, that's something you can leverage. If you're not, you're doing important work and COVID is impacting your ability to do that, whether from a resource perspective or mm -hmm. from a logistical perspective, that's the story to tell right now. There is no other story in the sector, I think, in terms of rallying support. Um, and then I guess the other thing to think about is the, you really need to not make this transactional. Uh, it, this is just a truth. I think we're, we're way too transactional as a whole in how we engage for support. And donors, uh, our data show, I think, pretty clearly that's not how donors want the experience to be. Increasingly, they're looking for an experiential engagement. Um, that's that much more true when you're talking about people are going to have less money. You got to give them other ways to support you. Um, and, and that's the best way to increase how you, the, the, the financial support you get as well. So really strengthening your connection to people is what's most important uh, above tactical considerations of, you know, what tool am I going to use to get them to donate, right? You really need to be thinking holistically about your relationship now more than ever. But I hope that that's a best practice that ends up 
being realized more by more organizations, those that survive, those that recover, those that are doing a good job to respond to this will will end up integrating that into their process long term. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of what this is a bit of a catalyst for, whether it is for more, you know, if, if we don't have strong relationships built up and then this happens, fringe people, they're not going to give, they're not going to care because they're not really that connected to you anyways. And things are, you know, um, everyone brings things in, like your family, your friends, things that are close, the brands you care about, the organizations you care most about are the ones you care most about, right? That survival mentality. And if you're not one of those, then, you know, you probably do suffer. So how do you do that? Or whether it's digital, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, years from now, you know, looking back, like what kind of role did this did this have? Uh, I think that'll be fascinating. One thing that you mentioned earlier that I want to circle back to is uh, donor advice funds. I hadn't thought about that. You know, a lot of people uh, don't think donor advice funds are super useful for the philanthropic space. I think they are, but that's a separate debate. But because the the money is given, the tax receipt is issued, it's sitting there. I mean, it's decreasing right now based uh, on how it's invested, but you know, it's already given, right? So we're not asking people to give, it's already given. So we're just asking them to distribute. Is that the real thing that helps uh, DAFs maybe be a little bit even extra resilient? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the research by uh, Dan Heist and Danielle Vaughn showed very clearly through the last recession that um, that DAFs did provide a buffer of resilience to the sector as a whole. Uh, generally speaking, what we saw was um, that distributions out of those funds rose to, um, to, to compensate from the decrease in individual spending. That money has been donated already. It's the rainy day fund. It's there. And if I were a nonprofit fundraiser right now, my strategy would definitely involve identifying my, my current donors who are DAF holders and reaching out as directly as possible to people with DAF funds to help alleviate the fact that individual donors may just have less to work with. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, there's a lot of resilience typically of maybe like smaller level donors, um, but higher level donors who give out of wealth and, and assets who haven't yet given, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where we see a lot of hit because their portfolios are down and they haven't given yet. So, you know, some of those might be the same people and the difference between them being able to give or not is whether they've used something like a DAF. So that's a really good, you know, point and strategy uh, that I hadn't thought much about. Those donors you're talking about, they've got typically an attitude, or at least what I've seen is the attitude is, you know, I want to maximize my giving within a certain range and they want, they bring to bear whatever tools they have to maximize that gift. And when their portfolios are down that their, their donation will go down. It's just, it's just the math that's involved Uh, on the more sort of retail level individual giver. I think one of the mitigating factors right now is we're seeing this incredible so far anecdotally, but we are, we are in the process of getting some empirical measures of this spontaneous acts of giving all around the world like we've Hmm. never seen on any other day except giving tuesday right the world is coming together to be generous and share Hmm. their generous behavior Mm -hmm. in unprecedented numbers this is going to have an impact i think our job at giving tuesday is to understand where we can scale it um, and how we can sustain it for cultural shift but that's that's an enormous opportunity when people We've seen very clearly that when people engage in these activities, it has a net impact on their future behavior 
specifically with respect to donating money. Yeah. So um, there's there's a real upside potential to this uh, to to this sense of unity and need for individual and collective action. Yeah, no, that has that has been you know cool to see. And again, it's not like something that's necessarily brand new. I mean, what we know in fundraising is when people truly experience need, they typically respond. Like that's part of what it is to be you know, human is have a sense of empathy and respond and giving is one of the ways that people respond. It's just when, you know, when you don't interact with need, this is why people who live in kind of like lower income areas are proportionally more generous because they see need like every single day. Whereas maybe if you're, you know, wealthier and you don't see and interact with need, you don't feel that as much. And what everyone around the world is seeing every single day is need and to see people respond is, uh, you know, not shocking if you're in our space, you know, that, but it's cool to see that's, uh, and it will be really interesting to see what's going on. So maybe as we look forward and some of these data points that, that you and your team are collecting, I want to talk about Giving Tuesday specifically in a second, but what are some things that maybe people can look for in terms of, you know, not so much in the immediacy, but once we start being able to have more data, would it be like, you know, um, number of people giving or like how the stock market's going or like what are some indicators or things we can look for to have a sense of, you know, how bad is this? How long will it last? Uh, just even in a rough sense. Yeah, I mean, frankly, that's going to be a tough question to answer until we're more <laughs> in it, right? I think um, currently we're 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 seeing the cause of the the effect to yet to be measured. Um, honestly, I don't think we're going to have a sense of this until we're into the summer, and and that will then we'll be able to make some predictions. I think on what the the giving season looks like. Mm. I think that what we should be doing as a as a sector internationally right now is uh, making sure that we don't just ride the wave of the economic downturn, but we ride the wave of the collective action. So Mm. because what's going to happen, I think, is that the peak of collective action will start to recede as the as the virus impact lessens. And Mm. that's when we're going to be seeing the economic impact start to compound. Mm. But what we need to do is we need to come out of virus recovery with a strong momentum into the second half Hmm. of the year in terms of engaging people around their giving. They've all stood up and they've made themselves available and they're, they're responding to the need that they see in front of them and they're enjoying the giving part, right? It's turned out to be the antidote to the bad feelings. It gives you a sense of agency. So our job is going to be collectively to capture that in the summer and extend it for regular engagement, regular giving, reminding people that we're still in this together to minimize the economic impact into the end of the year. And I, I think mm-hmm. that, that that will give us some sense of how much we're able to mitigate this. There is still lots of untapped giving. Uh, and even with a downturn, the downturn is bad if it acts on baseline. But the baseline, in my opinion, is artificially suppressed. People mm-hmm. are not giving to their full capacity when times are good. So there's right. lots of headroom there. And now that we've got more motivation, there's a big opportunity to mitigate the negative impacts on on charity. Yeah, no, those are some great points. Uh, appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, as we get into kind of the rest of the year and looking ahead, which sounds crazy at this point, you know, something like Giving Tuesday, which is initially why we were going to chat was kind of like, you know, a review of Giving Tuesday 2019, which seems crazy to have that chat. But I still want to have it because I think it's really interesting. And, you know, your team uh, is doing a lot more than just 
looking at one individual day, which is really a lot of what I want to talk about and a lot of what your work and team is that I want to highlight. So uh, can you maybe just share a little bit more about like what you and your team actually do and then also what were maybe some highlights of, of 2019? Yeah, for sure. So um, our work is increasingly pivoting away from direct analysis of the day and more to the underlying drivers and, um, and, uh, and opportunities to drive more, more giving. Now, there's a lot to learn in that arena from Giving Tuesday, but it's less about the direct impact there and more about the best practice. So we saw before last year that donors acquired on Giving Tuesday and donors, existing donors who give on Giving Tuesday, that there's a positive um, shift in their donation behavior after that first engagement. We think that's really important to understand what all of the components that are driving that effect are. So a lot of our, our efforts now in terms of analyzing Giving Tuesday are about identifying what's causing that effect so that we can establish best practice for better engagement all year round. There's an intervention that worked. What do we learn from it in order to, to get a better result from our donor pool and bring more donors in? Uh, related to that is the fact that it's very clear that people want to give in lots of ways and they're not, not always given lots of ways to give. So we are, are interested in the cultural relationship between these various pro-social behaviors. Um, Right now, obviously, there's in, in, there's urgency behind that work. Um, our roadmap actually didn't change very much with respect to measuring these kinds of um, interactions between generous behaviors. Um, what happened was we accelerated it. We changed the focus a little bit. Um, but we, we really feel like there's an opportunity for positive culture shift if we understand these things well. So working on that, the big sort of... The, the big themes are that cause of the Giving Tuesday effect, um, the, the opportunities for culture shift and, and um, motivating generosity in all its forms. Um, and related to that is this uh, impact and resilience opportunity, uh, which, is, which is one component now, of, uh, one urgent component of, of that overall mandate. Last yeah. year for Giving Tuesday, it was a, it was a really big year. Um, one of the exciting things for me was that because we had so much data from so many sources um, to work with, we were actually able to estimate the minimum level of offline giving on the day for the first mm. time. Um, and, you know, for data nerds, it, that was great. That was pretty exciting because <laughs> measuring offline giving at a granular level like that is, is a real challenge. And I think our opportunity was that we were less interested in the, the the absolute empirical figure and more interested in whatever the lower lowest low limit of that giving was right so we know that there was a little over one there's about 1.6 billion dollars donated offline in the u.s on a single day and we know that that's the floor it was certainly right. higher than that and our models are improving so we'll get better at knowing exactly how much higher than that but that was pretty exciting and it meant that with $511 million minimum donated online on the day, we're at roughly a $2 billion day. And uh, that that's that's a big day for philanthropy. Um, again, particularly knowing that's the minimum. Yeah. What's no, interesting that was... is, is how, how the other ways people are getting involved and we're getting better at measuring this as well. Um, we're seeing volunteer action. We're seeing people giving stuff. Um, I think we'll see a shift in some of these mechanisms due to COVID this year. That'll be interesting mm -hmm. to track. 
Mm-hmm. But at a minimum, 13% of the U.S. population participate in, participated in Giving Tuesday in some way last year. And um, and the what we're seeing now in terms of benchmarking from ourselves and others on levels of awareness and levels of activity is that that, that all seems to be still on the upswing. So a big banner year and lots of growth indicators. Yeah, it, it was cool to see the, the addition of the offline um, and again, the online and the offline are not totally separate things. So adding that into the analysis made a lot of sense and obviously helps bolster the case uh, for Giving Tuesday. And the fact that, you know, you and your team are looking at it's not just the day, which a lot of people reduce it to, not just you, not, not, I mean, not you, a lot of people do that analysis and you and your team are really good about saying, yeah, it's a huge day, but you know, if it doesn't lead to anything else in the rest of December and the rest of the year, we're still not doing something, you know, right, which I think is great. Um, and there's just, I, I think in, as more and more people do it, it's got this social factor, right? 13% of the U S population. That's crazy. But then you have this element of like, Oh, you know, like everyone else is doing it. Well, I should do it too. Uh, which can sometimes snowball in a bad way for things that aren't good. But this, in this case, it's, you know, helping snowball things, uh, in a good way. I know one of the things that, um, you know, we talked about was while more and more people are raising funds on Giving Tuesday and using it as a strategic campaign, at least from what I've seen, there's still not enough of saying like, well, what what really works? Like there's tons of kits and plans and strategies. And then we see aggregate data. But uh, I haven't seen a lot of specific examples of experiments or tests that can try to say, you know, communication leading up to the day outperformed no communication leading up to the day or like uh, this type of ask or this many emails are like, does that stuff exist and I just can't see it? Or is it kind of like, yeah, that exists, but we want to do more of it. Can you share more about some of the like specific data around tactics to certain organizations and, and whether that exists or not? Yeah, there, I mean, there are definitely some interesting um, experiments at the tactical level that I, I found interesting. Um, donors choose did an A-B test uh, testing uh, matching gift offer on on Giving Tuesday and on another random Giving Tuesday and found a lift there. Um, they compl- that was testing about uh, brand name of the matching donor, which which also um, had a, a lift effect. Um, so there, that was certainly interesting. Matching gift um, anecdotally seems to perform better on Giving Tuesday, and and the donors choose uh, is really good at doing the a, you know clean A-B, A-B testing certainly bore that out. Uh, Texas A&M uh, researchers uh, did a, a paper where they tested um, different offers to donors at different lead times before Giving Tuesday um, that also mentioned to the donor that they would be asked again on Giving Tuesday and found that a uh, five-week lead time performed best in terms of net overall result, which was, I think, really interesting because before that came out, um, I, I, I'm not sure I would have thought that, 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 that was the optimal lead time. And right. certainly the, the idea of asking and then asking and asking again, along with telling the donor, they're going to get asked twice, um, was, would, was not necessarily a tactic I would have thought would work out best. Um, right. That actually, that, that, that's one of the things that we identified that in, to indicate to people that, starting to talk earlier about it was not a bad thing. Once we were in that, once we saw that, I was like, well, yeah, of course. Like, that's what I would do as a consumer marketer. I wouldn't wait to talk about it, right? Like, I don't wait to talk about my Black Friday plans 
So the week <laughs> before, the I start day, talking yeah. a month before, and I offer right. them something a month before it. It's it's not actually different, and sure. and I think it's funny because I try not to. You know, I'm no business. You should listen to me, nonprofit people. <laughs> um, but I fell into the same trap that a lot of nonprofit people do, which is just assuming it's going to be different because it's nonprofit. Right. Well, yeah. Some of these things aren't, and that's one of them. Yeah, no, that that's really interesting. I mean, we've seen something similar-ish where like on a giving day campaign, you basically tell them like, hey, you're about to get, you know, a bunch of emails and we're not ashamed by that. But if you're not interested, you can unsubscribe and like proactively saying, here's what you're going to receive and here's how you can choose to not receive it, actually increase the likelihood that they kept getting those emails. You know, it's kind of like this clarity trust factor where again, it's like communication basics. People want Real, honest, authentic, truthful communication. So if you go into a donor and say, hey, this is happening in five weeks. We'd love you to contribute. Here's the impact that you'll have You know, if you want to give today. You know, just that type of approach when you step back, you're like, oh, yeah, that actually makes all the sense in the world. And people can say, you know, no, thank you. But, I, I uh, you know, very few people are going to be upset that you're, you know, communicating clearly and articulately about the opportunity and what's going to happen. Like, I don't see how that's a downside. So that's really, really interesting to see that research come out and kind of you know, share some of that. And as I mentioned, I, I, we're hoping we'll see what the world looks like now, but that's one of the things that we would, you know, be hoping to do is, you know, run some more experiments with our clients or say, here's things that work in campaign environments and, you know, share those ideas and see if people can replicate those or see what that looks like on Giving Tuesday. And just, again, I think the thing that you you and your team are doing is, you know, thinking more long-term and starting to be more research-driven in terms of tactics uh, is really great. And I hope more and more people look for that type of stuff uh, and maybe don't just find all the stuff that's maybe not so evidence and, and data based, which of which there's a lot. Uh, I was going to ask you about tips for upcoming Giving Tuesday, but that just seems like that's like three worlds away. So let's just skip that. I think you talked about lead time and matching gifts, which are, are potentially two new tools. So maybe I'll just open up. Anything else uh, you want to add before we we wrap up around you know Giving Tuesday or kind of giving data and recessions that we haven't covered? Well, I do want to comment actually on what you just said. A couple of things that you touched on that I think are really important to understand. They're definitely true on Giving Tuesday. They're true all the time. Um, one of the things that I think we need to, the sector to understand, they're misunderstanding the questions around frequency. Yes, you should ask your donors if they're solicited too frequently. By You should look at your stats to identify if your, solicit, if your frequency is a problem. But if you find your frequency is too high for result, that your ROI is dropping off, the answer is not solicit less. The answer is solicit better. Quality of message is what matters. And, you know, I see a lot of this, uh, people saying, give to us because it's Giving Tuesday. That is not (laughs) a compelling message. Giving Tuesday gives you an opportunity. Research from Sector 3 Insights showed very clearly that the number one driver of donation intention is urgency and giving tuesday gives you urgency because yeah. as we've seen in in our research and the research of others um people want to be part of this big giving opportunity where they're getting together with everybody and being active as a community so there's an urgency to act there um that does give that's one of the things that gives giving tuesday that uh that lift and it's got to be compelling it's got to be based on your mission. It has to tell people why they would feel good about giving to you. Um, giving Tuesday gives you that extra urgency to act now. So two, two things that I think are just best practice for Giving Tuesday and all year round. One is look at frequency differently. You should be trying to maximize frequency by increasing your quality. 
And then, and then secondly, you got to think about how you offer a, a clear call to action that is not, doesn't always necessarily have to be about giving money, but, but that your communications provide that compelling and emotionally impactful reason why, why somebody should, would feel good about being a supporter of yours. Yeah. No, those, those are great points. I mean, that, the whole conversation around frequency is so difficult to have because, as you mentioned, quality is such a big factor. You know, like if you send really good, engaging, you know, emails that are valuable to me and relevant, you can send me a bunch. If you send me crap, I don't want any of them, you know? So it's the number one question we get asked when we do teaching and training on emails. Like, well, how many emails should I send? It's like, oh, like, I have no idea. How good are your emails, you know? Right. Um, you know, that's one thing. And then the other thing where we spent more and more time doing some research is just the impact of cultivation. And so, yes, the quality of your solicitation should be good. But if you look at your frequency, if it seems high, you know, another solution is actually send more emails, but none of them are asks. Thank you for your gift. The impact of your gift. Why giving is making a difference. What's going on in the world? Just non-ask content, whether it's um, through like, priming ads, whether it's through actual blog posts, whether it's through delivered through email, we've seen a direct correlation to increasing cultivation, non-ask touch points, leading to more giving later on. So that, you know, that's the other thing. And even people thinking strategically of like, okay, we got this big campaign on Giving Tuesday. What are some of the engaging cultivation things we can do between now and them? Prep them for Giving Tuesday, but can we deliver value? Can we create an offer? Can, you know, like thinking through that more holistically as well. Uh, I'm sure those concepts, you know, would apply. Um, so those are some extra, extra great tips. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking some time um, to kind of break down some of what the heck is going on as much as we can, given our limited data and, you know, sharing more about Giving Tuesday. Thank you so much for the work you and your team are doing to shed more light and, and evidence and research on Giving Tuesday, but also things like uh, what's going on right now. So I really, really appreciate the work that you do. Um, where can people find out more about you and your work? So the simplest thing is givingtuesday.org slash data has a very um, brief summary of our work and, and an opportunity to get involved. Uh, we're, this collaborative now is in almost 50 countries, uh, 80 collaborators and nine working groups in the U.S. And there's lots of room for more. Our, our platform we're building for collaborative research is, is really a public utility that we're opening up to everybody, data, um, tool resources, tools, methodology, uh, findings, publication. So um, we're, we're building and growing that collaboration literally daily. And a great way to get involved, just go to givingtuesday.org slash data. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thanks again for sharing uh, some of your expertise and time with us. Thanks for having me, Brady. Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. 
Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening. 